When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello everyone, welcome back to the afternoon here on Ausbiz. Great to have you company for the next hour. For the call, 60 minutes, 10 stocks, throwing a stock of the day that you've asked us to have a look at. I put it to an expert panel for their adjudication. A lot of information, a lot of fun as well, and terrific panel today. Uh, John Milroy from Ords is with us. John, uh, afternoon to you. Thank you for joining us here. Today we'll take a bit of a trip across the ditch. Uh, Fisher and Paykel uh, Healthcare uh, boosting its final dividend slightly despite a flat year for revenues and profits. On the outlook, the company said the increase in transport and supply chain costs remains a headwind, but these have begun to ease. Um, John Milroy from Ords, this is becoming a bit of a theme in reporting season updates, isn't it? The uh, the supply chain issues, the rising costs. What did you think of the Fisher and Paykel release and and the stock itself? Yeah, I think you're right, David. It certainly has been something to be mentioned that most of the briefings are throughout the course of the reporting season, more recently throughout the US reporting season too. And governments and, in, and businesses are trying to find ways to solve some of that. There does seem to be some sort of um, easing up of some of those constraints around the, the tightness of the shipping market, tightening of containers and, and the like. But back to Fisher and Paykel Health, it's really a wonderful business and uh, pretty pretty good effort in what's been a very, very difficult year for everybody um, to come out again and, and have, a, have a decent decent number. Um, it's, it's certainly a, a stock you'd like to have in the portfolio. Like all these high quality healthcare stocks, they always trade a little bit expensive. But um, gee, it's a terrific business, David, and I think you'd be very pleased to see it sitting in the portfolio. Yeah, so have all got a buy on it at these levels, around the 32 bucks? I think it's, a, it's more a neutral hole here for us, David. Um, probably just because it's had such a great run, it's a little bit expensive. Yeah. Um, ben Clark, gee, we're good at these big healthcare businesses, aren't we? Whether it be ResMed, Cochlear, CSL, Fisher & Paykel, Ramsey. Um, we produce some, some beauties in this sector. We do, although the Kiwis will probably tell you that you know, we shouldn't take um, all the credit yeah. for it. Well, Crowded <laughs> House is Australian and so is Russell Crowe, so yeah. they can be Yeah, too. exactly. <laughs> we'll take it. If they chose to list over here, then, you know, it's, it's we've got a little bit in there. So, yeah. I mean, this has just been an incredible success story, as John was saying earlier. It was actually, once upon a time, this little healthcare unit was part of Fisher & Pike Appliances, which we'd all probably be a lot more familiar with. Yep. And um, under its own steam, this company is actually sort of well overtaken the parent company before it got taken over and it's it's a, an amazing business I, I think when you look at the numbers that they've released today you'd sort of look at it and think oh there, there wasn't really anything that special in it what you got to remember is that last year was an absolute boom year for FPH they are about two-thirds of their revenue comes from um, ventilators and of course we saw this massive surge around the world in demand for ventilators 
And so the the markets have this view that the profits are going to, you know, pull back quite away versus a very strong comp. And what we've seen today is that the pullback hasn't been nearly as severe as the market was anticipating, which is why you've seen this bit of a pop in the share price. So um, we own this stock. I'd have it as a buy. I think um, it's really consolidated for about two to two and a half years now. It will take time to grow into um, its, its PE because it did have this bumper period. Um, it's also been impacted on the sleep apnea side of the business, um, you know, which it is a competitor uh, with ResMed in parts. But, you know, it's a really innovative, really well-run company. And I, I, I think it's a good one to have in a portfolio mm, as well. Okay. All right. Um, and that, that group, I remember talking to one of, one of the panellists on, on the, the call a couple of months ago saying that group of ResMed, Cochlear, CSL, Ramsey, Fisher and Paykel, um, in any sort of pullback in the market, that's when you sort of start loading up on them and uh, waiting for them. But it yeah. really happens. All right, let's get into uh, the stocks that you've asked us to have a look at. And uh, Ben, uh, viewers, one of you on Galaxy Resources, the uh, lithium production uh, group at Hard Rock Mines um, in, uh, in Australia, Canada and Argentina. Um, share prices gone through the stratosphere in the last uh, last two years or so. What do you think of Galaxy? Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I just guess a, a point to remember is that Galaxy was actually taken over. It's now Oracobra. Um, so yep. if you look at trying to find a ticker code, you won't be able to find it anymore. But um, we, th this has been a, a really good move, I think, for both of these companies because they were both, particularly Oracobra, they were quite single project reliant. And Oracobra was in this really difficult country, Argentina, where they, you know, yep. you get these constant changes in taxes and um, government intervention and all that sort of thing. And what we've seen is that it's removed some of the risk of a single project business. Um, it's removed some of that political risk. It's still there, of course. But, but the other thing I'd say is that both of these assets are really, it appears that they're really humming along. They're, they're producing at um, record production rates. As a result, the, the all-in cash costs have fallen quite significantly. And they're smashing out really good margins at the moment. So I think, um, you know, Oracobra advised that it's um, it's all in cash costs are around 350 US dollars, and they're selling um, the lithium product for around 770 at the wow. moment. So, you know, it's 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 great days for them. Um, they've got a great balance sheet, 430 million US dollars in net cash. Uh, so they're they're in, in good shape. I guess I, I'm going to go a whole Koshi on this one. And, and that's really based on the fact that lithium price has been incredibly strong. We all know that the demand for lithium is going to increase, but I can tell you there's also a significant supply of lithium that's coming to the market. So I'd just be a little bit more cautious on the price of lithium in the short term, but this would have to be up the top, I think, if you are looking mm. for a, a quality lithium producer. Yeah. Uh, John, what's the view on Oracobra now? Galaxies involved in it? Uh, yeah, so it's a, certainly a strong buy for us, David. It's uh, price target's just over $10 or so. Uh, Ben's absolutely right. You know, the price for lithium has been improving substantially in the last little while. We saw some um, really good outcomes for some spare capacity through uh, Pilbara through their um, unique way of selling um, uncontracted stock. So it saw some really strong levels around $2,500 or so. So that fed into the share price of the whole sector. But the Oracobra is our preferred play. 
Um, it's you know had a, a pretty good production report most recently, showing some strong prices and of course some strong uh, growth options as well. With um, as Ben rightly says, with the, the strong projects through Galaxy in Australia and the different types of rock they have here, and the spodumene as well. So certainly, um, a really a really good one. We'd like to play this thematic. So there's still some more left in it for us. Okay, so what's your price target? Did you say ten dollars? Ten dollars, yes. Yeah, so not far off that at the moment. No, that is true. That right. is true. Getting, getting there. Uh, but but still upside beyond that. Oh, we we, we think so. I mean, certainly, it's probably the more the growth options that they've got in the pipeline. David, with some of the extra projects that are developing here, um, you know, still gives them some extra uh, room for high level production. Um, you know, we still think there's some legs in lithium uh, for a little bit longer, but you know, there is going to be extra supply to come and meet those higher prices. So, but that's some way off in 2022. Okay. And All right. Um, um, our next stock that's been uh, sent in by Nick wants a view on on Pact. Um, John, the the big packaging solutions uh, manufacturer, um, whereas. I suppose Vizzy is in cardboards, uh, packs in rigid plastic materials, isn't it, in terms of packaging? That's right. And so our supply for us here, David, target price around $4. Um, they have really been beaten up in the last little while. It hasn't been a happy place to be as a shareholder at the moment. But you're right, that Australian business is, is the core of it. And they haven't really had a very happy time with a whole raft of issues through for the business in terms of not having a you know, under investing in machinery, having difficulties around getting um, some of the, the businesses that they've bought to, to um, align together and, and those sort of things have really impacted the ability for um, the, just to grow earnings. But they have most recently bought a uh, business in the, uh, New Zealand, a recycled plastic recycler called uh, Flight Plastics, which certainly gives them a really solid position in that, that part of the business, which we think is a little bit exciting for them and certainly could deliver some excess returns. So for that reason, um, even though it's trading around $3 or so today, um, there's still some upside on our, on our view. So a buy for us, David. Right, so you've got a target of $4. That's correct, yes. Yeah, okay. That'd be a nice increase if it, if it got up there reasonably quickly. Uh, ben, what do you think of Pact? Uh, yeah, I'm not as keen on it. Um, I, I, I have a sort of a general rule to try and avoid turnaround stories, and this is firmly in that camp. This business has struggled for many years, um, and and you know, I, I, it's a business where a lot of the key factors that are going to drive their earnings higher or lower are completely outside of their control. Um, so you know, as an example, one of the one of the main input costs is was all you know all of the raw materials that they use in their packaging. Um, you've got shipping costs, customer demand, all of those sort of things. And I just think, um, A, the management have been pretty poor. It felt like they were starting to get some traction in the market, but they have just downgraded earnings again. So that's another step backward for this business. And if you read the earnings announcement, it really highlights to me why I'd be more cautious on it. It's just you know sort of a litany of sort of things that they can't really do much about. And they've just got to hope that it comes back in their favour. It looks cheap. It's trading on 11 times earnings. It's on a 4% yield, but it, to me, it deserves to be cheap. Um, and, you know, I, I, I just think particularly th this sort of area, it's really a scale game. You've, you've got to operate at significant scale to get your costs down to become sort of the provider of choice. And I, I'd, I'd go for Amcor if I was looking at an alternative. If you like this space and 
The recycling part of it is interesting, um, where there could be quite a bit of value added by these players as the world tries to move off one-off plastics and stuff like that. Yeah. But Amcor, I think, is a business that's got more potential. So I'm going to go sell, Koshi. Okay, but you're saying you avoid turnarounds. Why? Mm. Why, why is that an investment principle that you adopt? Because they often take longer than you think they're going to. They often will um, cost more than you think they're going to, and they often just don't work out. And I just think you're you're betting against the balance of probabilities that it's going to work. And um, you know, with with turnarounds, there's been so many examples where to turn around a business that's in decline, it's not an easy job. You know, and and it's often businesses in decline in industries that are in decline. And investors can get lured into the stock because it looks so cheap and sort of management are sort of talking up a game in terms of trying to get things back up and running. But I would rather buy businesses when you can choose that are structurally growing, that have, you know, really good management teams. And you, it's, it's a matter of how fast they're going to grow versus are they going to be able to return to some form of growth? Okay, so is that mainly industrial companies, for example? Um, a lot of people are buying or have been buying and, and certainly on the call here indicating um, iron ore stocks um, over the last month or so because yeah. they think they're trying to pick the bottom of the iron ore market, getting into Fortescue, pure, well, sort of pure iron ore play if you take out the tiny hydrogen stuff that they're getting into at the moment. Um, but that's yeah. more a call on the commodity price rather than the business itself. The business itself is really efficient and good yeah. at what it does. Is that the difference? Yeah. Yeah, no, that does make a difference because you, you've got to recognise what drives companies' earnings and you've got to take a view on, you know, what the the input sort of drivers are. So, like, I, I would agree that, you know, iron ore, you get interested in it after it's had a 50% drop from its high and these businesses will be profitable whether iron ore is at $50 or it's at $150. You know, they, they still will be pushing out profits. It's just what level it will be. But, you know, I, I think it's it's very different to the pact. You know, they're, they're running these assets as well as anyone. We've got a lot of expertise in the mining space. It's not an area we would typically be attracted to. In fact, um, you know, there's really only one um, iron ore stock I like, which is Datira, um, which um, is a, like a royalty fish. company. Yeah. Yeah. So um, just because it's so capital light and there's just no risk to the company, I've never really seen a business quite like it. So, um, you know, we'll look at anything, Koshi, but I, I, I think you've always, you know, the cyclical stocks, you've got to also step back and think, where are we at in the cycle? Yep. All right. For those people who don't know Datera, it's a bit of a favourite here of the call. Basically, it's a couple of accountants in the business that receive checks every so often from uh, from one of BHP's mining leases, iron ore mining leases, and they go and bank it. So uh, it's a really inter interesting business. Um, John, uh, our viewer wants uh, your opinion on Illumina, uh, the big aluminium company. They own what, 40% of Alcoa worldwide got a stake in the Portland aluminium smelter. What's the, the view on Illumina? Yes, David, for, for us, it's a, it's a hold here, although our target price is $2.10, so you know, a conundrum amongst all of that. Um, it's trading certainly below that uh, price around $1.82 or so when I left my desk today. 
Um, it's you know one that always seems to give uh, investors a few headaches here and doesn't always perform the way you'd like it to, given all those inputs. Certainly, the, the, the problem they face all the time, of course, is that it's so um, energy intensive, and of course, electricity is not the cheapest thing to acquire at the moment. That's obviously an ongoing issue following how they go ahead and address that in terms of finding a, a cheaper and uh, sustainable level of way of accessing electricity mm. for all of their plants. Um, still, for us, um, it's trades pretty cheap. It's about um, 11 times, I think, here. Uh, sorry, nine times here, but obviously a decent yield. Um, so there are, there are some reasons why you would consider it, but, but certainly in the space, we're, we're much more in favour of the likes of South 32, which I think have some wonderful assets like manganese and also uh, Rio, of course, exposed to the, to the iron ore market, like Ben was talking, and the fact that they've had such a big pullback. So aluminium, yeah. uh, alumina for us, probably a, a weak hole. Okay. And you bring up a really good point because there's lots of talk in the steel industry about using hydrogen um, as, a, as a way of, of providing the, um, the, the heat for the furnaces and all that sort of thing. You don't hear much about aluminium production using hydrogen to replace um, conventional power. Is, is that on the cards? Is that even servicing to, to reduce costs? I think it'd be interesting to do a word count on, on hydrogen, David, over the last uh, several months or so and see how many times it's, it's popped up. But uh, I think, yeah, yeah. I think half of that comes from Andrew Forrest. Forrest. <laughs> of course, of course. Um, but I haven't heard um, no. of, of Lumina uh, specifically addressing that as part of the, the way of finding a, a more sustainable level of um, green energy for them, but um, certainly be being thrown in the mix. And of course, yeah. as it is for all of these groups, that, you know, not, not just the the mining companies or uh, the manufacturers, but everyone's looking for ways to find um, sustainable and green and renewable ways of uh, sourcing energy. So it's a hot topic, it's not going away. No, absolutely. Uh, ben, what do you think of Illumina? Yeah, I pretty much echo John's comments. Um, this has been really a trading stock to me. It's not so much a, um, a long-term business that you want to stick with. Um, it's trading around the same price as it was 13 years ago. And if you go back like 20 <laughs> years, it was up in the fives and the sixes. So it's really delivered no long-term shareholder value. And you can understand why it's like, it, it's a kind of in some ways a bit similar to PAC. There's so many um, factors outside of their control. At the moment, Illumina actually looks like it's in a pretty good spot. Um, it's selling its um, aluminium at about $430 a ton, and they're making about $190 cash margin on it. So they're, they're in a pretty good place at the moment. It's, the market's got this on consensus numbers on a yield of about 9.5% fully franked and a PE of 10 times, so it looks seriously cheap. The problem is, of course, is that if that aluminium price drops significantly, which it's so often, you know, it goes up and down like a yo-yo over the years, that cash margin can be crunched and suddenly you might find you only get a two or three percent dividend. So you've got to be really careful um, looking at consensus numbers because they're only good as, as good as the assumptions that the analysts are making to try and project the earnings. And I would say with Illumina, it is not too far off to say if you threw a dart at a dartboard, you'd have a, as good a chance of working out what the earnings are going to be, <laughs> say, in 12 months time. So businesses like that, we typically try and steer clear of. Um, and I, look, I'd have it as a whole because it is. it looks like it's in a good place at the moment. It does have good assets. You know, these are unreplaceable assets and we do need aluminium. It's not, um, it's not the, the demand will be there. Then no one's gonna go out and build a new smelter because it's just inherently hard to make any money out of it. 
Um, so, but you know, I couldn't get too excited about it. Okay, all right. Um, Victoria wants to know, Ben, whether you're excited about Service Stream, the uh, uh, network services group in telecommunications, energy, and water had recent financial update. Pretty pretty good numbers. Uh, revenue up thirteen percent. EBITDA up twenty six percent. The utilities area grew. Telcos contract telecommunications part of it contracted a bit. Uh, what do you think of Service yeah. Street? I'm going to go a whole cost. You said that the reason, main reason for that is th- um, they've just uh, bought Lendlease Services Division, mm. um, and it was a very big acquisition for them. You'd have to say the market wasn't exactly thrilled about it when you look at the share price reaction to it and the, the raising that they had to do was a quite a big discount to the, the share price at the time. So, you know, I think in the next year or two, how this performs is going to come down to how well that they can integrate the Lendlease um, services venture into their own. Prior to that, Service Stream was an interesting little business. It was doing a lot of work for the NBN mainly, and um, you know a lot of the maintenance and services. Yeah, that's a horrible sort of chart, for. though, isn't it? Two thirty-nine yeah. to eighty-six Look, it, cents. Yuck. Yeah, it's um, it, honestly like these are really tough businesses. That they're extremely competitive. They work on super low margins, so you effectively, you know, win a job, you get. Um, um, you get some outsiders to come in and do a piece of work for you. You add about a 5% margin, maybe 10% at best, and that's your profit. And you, you're reliant on continually winning new work, getting existing work out of existing clients. And an issue that they've had recently has, of course, been COVID with border closures. They've had to pay the subbies that they outsource the work to much higher rates, which they've struggled to pass on uh, to their end clients. And there's been a general drying up in work because of, um, um, uh, you know, sort of the, the way that people can work at the moment. So I'd go a hold, um, but I wouldn't yep. be too thrilled about holding it. Okay. Uh, John, what do you think, service train? Uh, for, us, for us, it's a buy date with a price target of $1.42. So certainly some upside to where the current share price is in those 80, mid-80 cents or so. But um, Ben's absolutely right. You know, you're seeing a lot of that telecommunications work roll off for them. That uh, sort of going doing that work on behalf of the NBN is starting to trickle away and then coming to a its natural end at some stage um, very very soon. So, uh, having said that, the acquisition of the Lendlease Services business we think makes them better together. Um, they've got about six billion odd dollars of, of work inside the, the the combined group now, which we think gives them some, some um, upside from this this point. But you know, it is a difficult part that that service business it was such a great business. You'd think Lend Lease might have kept it, uh, but they've had a, a number of problems in the lead up to the sale, not least of which is the North Connects Tunnel, and of course COVID has played part of that too. So, you know, it's, you have to say, uh, you know, while we've got a buy on it, you might uh, wait around and see how they're going in terms of integration and, and addressing some of those synergy. Yep. Okay. All right. So uh, you've got that as a buy with a bit of upside going into it. Yes, correct. Okay. All right. Uh, We've got Molly who wants a view on Australian Insurance Group, Uh, the big general insurer brands like CGU and NRMA. Um, John, what do you think of Australian Insurance Group? It's described to me as one of the one of the ugly ducklings of the Australian share market or was about four or five months ago. And uh, for a lot of investors turned into a bit of a swan. 
Yeah, it certainly is. Insurance companies are always always fraught with difficulties, though, don't they? I mean, you never really know what's coming next for them, clearly. But um, for us, it's a it's a buy. Uh, price targets five dollars thirty five at the moment. A um, little bit of upside from where they're currently trading. It does trade a bit expensive here, about eighteen times or so. Not one I'm putting in a client's portfolios, David. Despite the fact they've had some um, some just some better news more recently, but you know, still with the declaration of La Nina most recently, you have to think there's going to be more storms and more storm damage and impacting on margins and impacting on um, some of those claims experience as well. But you know, with the, with those things increasing, they also get the ability to start rising, uh, lifting uh, premium rates as well, and that certainly helps their margins. But we've got to buy, but I'm not rushing to put in clients' portfolios here, David. Okay, so. and and your analysts. Are- on Sunrise the last couple of days, we've been talking the Weather Bureau and La Nina is coming back. It's going to be a really wet summer, particularly on the East Coast. It's already had a drenching. Yeah. Uh, they're forecasting floods. Do your analysts go, OK, these are insurance claims that we know that are coming. We'll start to re-rate. Well, I think they, they, they certainly do a lot of that work in the background, though. That's absolutely true. Um, you know, also, to some extent, the the companies themselves are doing all that work through their, their actuarial work, their understanding of you know what sort of experience they've had in the past as well. You know they're, they're very very good at, at uh, for the most part um, outside of just some you know, some really bad you know dumb luck in you know ensuring just the wrong thing at the wrong time of course. So that always plays its part too. But um, you know the, the, the biggest issue for them as it is for like QBE for instance is you know what happens in terms of interest rates. So if interest rates are ticking high, that certainly does take some of the pressure off these groups as well, and certainly does help earnings along the way. Yeah. Um, certainly that's a thematic for us in, in the likes of QBE as well. But again, I'm just not rushing to put insurance stocks in clients' portfolios. Day day, yeah. so. uh, ben, what do you think of IAG? Because it's not just natural disasters. I'm, I noticed they've been hit with a claim from a, a client who lost money in green seals as well um, over the last yeah. couple of days, the collapse of the financial group. Yeah. I, I'll go a sell on this one, Koshi. I, I, I think it is just in becoming so much harder to, to run these big insurance books. And, you know, if you look at their, they, they had a sort of a small downgrade um, a few weeks ago, and that was due to, uh, I think it was hail and nasty storms in Victoria and South Australia. And it just goes to show, you know, you get a one-off weather event, which is almost yeah. impossible to predict. And the company's got to come out to the exchange and downgrade earnings. And we know that weather is becoming more volatile. It's, I think, because, what you've got to remember with these companies is what they historically have done is they take on risk and where they see areas that they don't want to take on the risk, they will reinsure that with another insurer. So, um, you know, they, they might say, look, that's too risky for us or the actuaries will say, you know, pass that on to someone else. The problem is, is that with climate change, um, it's getting increasingly difficult to forecast where your nastier areas could be because the climate's becoming more volatile. So, um, I mean, you know, one thing I would say is definitely that rising interest rate argument is true. Um, these guys sit on large premium floats and if they're getting a higher return, they earn that effectively as a clear profit. So that's good for them. But I just think you've got it. Like I've seen a lot of people recommending QBE and sort of these sort of companies recently. I think I get why you know you want to try and find exposure to rising rates, and if rates do move higher than expected, what are businesses that could do well? But you still want to invest in businesses that can grow despite it. And I'd have no confidence in IAG being able to do that. It's shown no ability to for many years now. So, self for mine. 
Okay, so what's the alternative for stocks that will benefit from rising interest rates? Rising interest rates are going to come, as you say, investors are going, oh, okay, what are the sectors that are going to benefit? Insurance has traditionally been one, but what are some of the the other alternatives? Okay, well, I mean, if I if I rolled off a couple of names, um, I reckon uh, Medibank in the insurance space Mm -hmm. is one that I would look at because it's just so much stickier and it is much easier for them to try and understand what their claims are going to look like over the years. And they're actually doing, I think, a really good job in reducing those claims by trying to keep their members out of hospitals, by trying to reduce hospital times, by working with Ramsey, etc. It's a bit of an arm wrestle going on there. They sit on very large premium pools as well, but I just think it's a much higher quality insurance business. Um, you look at companies like ComputerShare or Link um, that sit on very large pools of funds. Um, you know, if someone like Macquarie Bank's doing a share purchase plan as an example at the moment, all the investors in Macquarie are sending in their $30,000 to buy the additional shares. ComputerShare will sit on, you know, could be up to a billion dollars for a couple of weeks before it passes that money through to Macquarie. So if they can earn a return on that money, that's, that's mm-hmm. hallelujah for them. Um, and another area I'd singled out, which kind of, um, is, is infrastructure, which sort of sounds counterintuitive, but if you look at like a transurban or an Atlas Arteria, they've um, been very good at fixing their debt at incredibly low interest rates for like 10, 15, 20 year periods. And if we do get interest rates going up faster than expected, it will be because inflation is higher and more stubborn than expected. Mm. And these assets have got their tolls that are linked to inflation. Right. So, you know, the outgoings are fixed at very low rates. But, you know, if you drive through the Cross City Tunnel or the Eastern Distributor and inflation is stubbornly, you will see the tolls starting to move higher, which actually will be good for those businesses. Yep, absolutely. And now with your, uh, with your e-tag, you don't even look. It just beeps and <laughs> you've got no idea that it's gone up 5% or whatever. Um, yeah, yeah, it is a money-making machine. Um, really good uh, guidance there, Ben. Thank you. Um, let's recap the first half of the call. Fisher & Paykel uh, is a buy from Ben, a hold from John. Uh, Oracobra, a hold from Ben. Uh, John likes it. It's a buy pact. Um, a yes from uh, John. Um, um, a sell from Ben prefers Amcor in that space. Illumina, a hold from both of them, although John would prefer a stock like uh, South32. Service Stream, a hold from Ben, a yes from uh, from John. AIG, uh, a a weak buy, an unconvincing buy from John, I think, and a sell from Ben. Uh, Here on the call, we've been following our own fantasy portfolio since uh, the 1st of July last year. Any stocks that get uh, two thumbs up uh, from our expert panel goes into the portfolio. If it comes up again, well, then we um, uh, it's got to have either a hold or a buy to stay in the portfolio. If it's a no, it goes out. Um, uh, Galaxy now, Oracobra is in the portfolio. We've got a hold and a buy on it, so it stays there. Let's see uh, how it's been performing. Uh, down 1.5% for the week up one and a half for the month and up nearly 9% from the 1st of July this year. Uh, Since inception, 1st of July last year, up 47%. Some of the stocks uh, recently added 
to the calls portfolio, Globe, uh, the big streetwear group, uh, Atlas Arteria, uh, Vitus Health, Brambles and Capital Health, and uh, some of the stocks that have been recently taken off Harvey Norman. Uh, that was good timing after uh, yesterday's announcement. Southern Cross Media, Magnus Energy Technologies and PWR Holdings. You can check all the stocks and ETFs in the calls portfolio. Head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. We'll keep updating it every day. Think having an SMSF is hard? Well, think again. Set up your own SMSF completely online with Stake Super and invest your super with freedom. There's no paperwork and Stake does all the admin. You just focus on the investing. All right, let's get into uh, the second half of the call. And Steve, uh, John wants a view on Goodman Group, the big uh, property um, organisation. Steve says, is it a good buy for people in their 20s or should I look elsewhere such as REITs and ETFs? Um, What's the view on Goodman Group? Been in the news the last week or two about some of the executive remuneration that uh, shareholders didn't like much. No, David, I think you're going to see a bit, of, a bit more of that perhaps of us on the AGMs as well. So you know, keep, keep uh, an eye out for that as well. But uh, for us, it's an accumulate price target around uh, $24 or so, a little bit, uh, a little bit uh, north of that at the moment. Um, gee, it trades expensive. It's about 31 times or so, David, but it's a wonderful business and they've done a great job building a fabulous portfolio, not just on behalf of themselves, but uh, also on behalf of third parties as well. And that uh, funds under management continues to grow. And, they continue to clip the ticket. Um, of course, all the property revaluations around um, through the, all their portfolios, both the ones they own and third parties for the likes of the sovereign wealth funds is something that they can continue to um, continue to improve as well. That certainly helps the earnings outlook as well. Um, well. And of course, you know, we're kind of seeing some really strong activity across the domestic economy and you know, the, the types of things that uh, Goodman build, those, those really big distribution centers and manage on behalf of themselves and others, again, you know, is, is something that's not going to change anytime soon for the moment. I think for us, though, in the, in the space, we'd be looking perhaps at uh, some of those um, retail, more, more retail-focused REITs, the ones particularly the, the service stations, the bigger energies of the world, you know, certainly is something that um, is um, one that we prefer. We think there's some real upside there. They've still got, you know, that convenient side of that business is something that remains very powerful, pardon the pun, driver for their earnings. Um, and certainly there's a, a point in the um, point for um, that to improve as well and, on, and be ongoing, no matter what happens with the likes of uh, fossil fuels and, and uh, decarbonisation. Okay, so it's above the price target. Would it be a hold for you at, at this stage? Oh, I think so, David. It's hard, right. to, it's hard to justify throwing something that's 31 times into your client portfolio here when there's other alternatives which are cheaper and have some, some other yep. um, earnings sure. upside as well. Okay, uh, Ben Goodman Group. Yeah, I, I think I'd have to agree with that. I, I, I would say I've got a mate who um, who is one of the big leasing agents out in um, industrial in Western Sydney, and he, you know, he said it is just absolutely booming. And um, I think uh, Goodman have said that the vacancy rate um, that this is if you're looking to rent a, um, a you know, an A grade um, industrial property is less than half a percent in in, in Sydney. Great. So you know, it's 
and, and you know you hear these stories of you know some of these assets have like tripled in value in the last two or three years and what the, the reason what's driving it is that COVID created every business realized that they had to be online and they had to be online at scale so you, you might have a Harris farm or a Kmart or a Target or whatever it is and there's only so many of these assets that are in good locations you need to be you know, really close to highways where your trucks that are doing your deliveries because it's really a scale game. It's also a cost game. And um, so what's what Goodman are really keen on at the moment is talking about putting second stories on their existing um, industrial assets because they said that, that there are no more. There's nothing else to buy. It's locked up. And, you know, the big, the big um, you know, the woolies and stuff of this world are on like 20 year leases in these in these assets. I would say, you know, it, it feels to me like things are about as good as that they can get. But I'd agree with John that these trends are not going away and they are only going to continue to accelerate. Um, and Goodman, you know, like their biggest partner is Amazon across the across the state. So it probably is a long term buy. Um, but I think, in you know, I'd, I'll go a hold just because I think um, yeah. valuation does pretty extreme. Yeah. Uh, they're regarded as being the best, aren't they? And that that massive yeah. uh, people may have seen on the six o'clock news as the other week, the Amazon's brand spanking yeah. new warehouse in Western Sydney with all the robots going around. Uh, that was built and owned by Goodman, is it? Yeah, that's right. And I, I think that's what I probably sort of failed to under, under understand is um, is just these assets are quite rare. You know that you want so the more the more bank internodal terminal which is owned partly by cube which is i think quite an interesting alternative hasn't had the hype in it that um that, that goodman certainly has is a good example it need you want to be on a rail line ideally and then close to the m5 or the m7 or yeah. whatever the artery is um and that will mean that you can your, your, your cost of getting parcels and packages out to your customers is significantly cheaper um, so it's um, it's a it's a great it's a great business. Yeah, too right. All right, Tim wants a view where Ben on Apollo Tourism. Now I had no idea Apollo was listed on the Australian share market. It's the it's the motorhomes and camper vans that you're seeing driving around. They they manufacture wholesale and retail all of these motorhomes and caravans. Uh, across New Zealand, Australia, North America, um, US, uh, Canada, and also in Europe. Um, it's been hit by COVID uh, massively, but the uh, the company's chief executive in the last update said there's light at the end of the tunnel. Is there for investors, what do you reckon, Ben? Is this a, an opening? This is a plan? really, yeah, it's a really interesting one um, because I think this is a, a pretty good quality business. They can, um, because they're manufacturer and then, you know, a lot of the, the income that comes through the cash flow statement is mainly from leasing out these um, these mobile homes. And of course, you think that there's been like a domestic boom, but we've all, you know, with all the border closures in Australia, which is their biggest market, that's caused chaos for the business. They've had um, homes that are stranded in certain states that they can't get back to others. People are reluctant to travel because they're worried about getting stuck somewhere. New Zealand, of course, has had border closures um, to the world um, for, for a couple of years now. It looks like that's going to be at least another six months. That They were loss-making last year, Apollo, um, and they have signaled, you know, the market thinks they're going to return 
to positive cash flows and profits this year. That the market's got them on a, a P of 13 times FY23 um, earnings, although I, I, I think it's hard. The other interesting little one here is they, they own quite a decent sized stake in a business called Camplify. I don't know if oh. we can get the chart up. The code is um, CHL. I'd never heard of that one either. Oh, well, um, but Cam Camplify is only recently listed. It was a yeah. uh, it was a startup that we've been following here on Startup Daily for about three or four years, and re and it's okay. It's a, it's like your your Airbnb of motorhomes and caravans. Yeah, and it's gone nuts. Like um, mm. you know, I think it's gone from like a dollar forty to it's in the fours or even five dollars now. So, yeah. um, that that stakes great for them because the only ne the negative I would say with Apollo is they do have a bit of debt and. Um, you know, with no money coming in the door at the moment, th there could be a bit of a squeeze there. Th these guys might need to do a capital raise at some stage to make sure the balance sheet can get through whatever COVID has in store for us and the and the future of travel. Um, so I'll say a hold. I, I just think it's the 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 resurgence of travel is going to take time, and it you know I think in some cases it's not going to happen as quickly as everyone's expecting. Um, Domestic should be strong, which is good for them. Uh, but, you know, the balance sheet is an issue. So yeah. um, I'll, I'll go a whole question. But, gee, look at that asset. I, I had no idea they had a stake in Camplifier. Um, as you see, Camplifier only listed in June. It's been unlisted for a number of years. Really terrific founders. Um, a, a really interesting concept, but the market has just fallen in love with it, as you can see there. So they've got a stake in that. They've got a pretty decent asset to offset against the debt. Um, so, yeah. so, so you're a, a hold on a reopening. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a hold. I, I think get the balance sheet worked out. And yeah. also, um, I, I just think it's not going to be a linear recovering in earnings. It's going to take, I mean, we saw Jacinta's come out, um, I think yesterday and, and said that international tourists can start to travel without quarantining. I think it was in March or April next year. So, you know, that's still four or five months away. And then there's going to be a few months lag before the planes will actually start hitting the tarmac. So it, it's not like there's an overnight recovery story happening no. for them at the moment. And then a cold winter in New Zealand will increase numbers and they'll close again. Uh, not great timing. Um, <laughs> John, I'm becoming very cynical. Yeah, cynical. I'm, uh, well, I'm looking, at, I'm looking at what's happening in Europe at the moment. I think that's providing us uh, with a blueprint yeah. after our summer. Um, John, what do you think of Apollo? It's a hold for us, David. We've got a target price of uh, 31 cents on it, so substantially below where it's trading in those uh, mid-60s. Um, you're right, and Ben's, Ben's right with that Camplify business, and interesting to hear you've been following it for a long time. Um, that's one of their associate businesses and been a really happy um, coincidence for them. That's been had a successful listing, and it certainly helped to cheer up their um, share price as well. I think the other thing, you know, Ben is absolutely right. They do have a high level of debt, but they have been um, fortunate in the sense that and everyone who's been looking to buy a new car will know this exactly, that, um, that new cars are getting harder to come by and second-hand cars are becoming more expensive. So as Apollo rolls off and tries to sell some of these um, these vehicles in the fleet that are excess to them, they, they're finding they're achieving much higher prices, which has certainly been something which has been helping them address that, so that debt level as well. So that's been something that's been ongoing. That doesn't look like changing anytime soon either, but, but you know, there were some serious concerns pre the Campify listing about you know, Apollo being a going concern, but that has been now addressed with that and certainly with the 
improving the debt position of the, you know, still some work to do, but um, mm. that, that's certainly along the way. Okay. All right. Um, let's go to the oil and gas sector, sector, John, and Della wants a view on Senex Energy, the oil and gas exploration and production company uh, in the Surat Basin and Cooper Basin. Um, under basically takeover stalking at the moment, aren't they, from a big South Korean company, POSCO, um, who's had an exclusive period to uh, go through the books and the data of Senex. Uh, Senex, that expires tomorrow. And if it all works out, the Senex board says they'll unanimously recommend the takeover offer. Um, what do you think of Senex at this stage? What should shareholders be doing? Holding on and just waiting well, to see? I think so, David. It's an official hold from us. Magic, magically, the target price is $4.60, which seems to be the price that POSCO has, uh, has uh, said they'll pay for the business. Um, the board has recommended the acceptance. Um, they've got the due diligence period to go through. So really, it's hard to you know, think much beyond that in terms of what you do as a shareholder. If you're, if you're there, you hold on. If you're, you're a buyer, well, maybe there's 12 cents upside in it, but uh, certainly not for us at this stage. They have been doing some good work in terms of you know, buying some more acreage as well. They bought some, some very productive acreage in South Australia again, and, and certainly um, means they've got some, some gas that they can contract into what is remaining a pretty tight domestic market. But the story really, as you rightly say, is all about the postcode maker. Mm. Uh, ben? Yeah, it's a, it's a, like a binary outcome here. Either yeah. the takeover falls over and you do not want to be in there because there'll be a, a fair way, um, it'll drop very quickly. Um, all, and, and what the market is saying is almost extremely likely is that this takeover will go through. The market's pricing it like it's gonna go through. Um, the fact that POSCO, I think, has lifted the bid four or five times since initially approaching Cenex would you know, appear to me that this is a done deal. So, you know, I just think it comes down, like to me, it's probably a sell just because it looks like you won't get the cash for at least another three or four months. And, you know, there might be what, a 2% return that you're going to earn from here if you mm. stick in there and, you know, sort of weigh up whether you think you could do better than that elsewhere. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's a good way of approaching it. Uh, Jamila, Ben wants a view on Top Shelf International. Um, another one of these uh, craft whiskey, craft spirit listed companies, uh, Top Shelf International, and um, um, has also... Uh, a bit of a difference, and I was very interested in having a Mexican daughter-in-law, um, that they've started Australia's first agave farm in the Whitsunday region of Queensland. Sort of agave, of yeah. course, going into tequila or mezcal. Yeah, I was, I, I, actually a broker I'm close to is really keen on this stock and he's he's talked me through it a couple of times. He wanted me to go up and look at the agave farm <laughs> just behind Ely Beach. and. Um, I was thinking that that sounds like a pretty good work trip, but never <laughs> the borders closed and never came about. But this is I actually rec I'm going to go buy on this. It's a spec buy, um, and I kind of know the story reasonably well because of him. But there's two main things that are kind of under the shelf here that you might not excuse the pun uh, you might not realise. The first is that they've got about half a billion dollars of whiskey in barrels, and so there's like you know, whiskey takes a certain amount of time before um, before you distill it and, and bottle it, etc. The question mark, because a lot of this whiskey will mature in like 2024, 5 and 6, 
you've got to do a lot of investing behind your brand to make sure that you can get the prices that you think you're going to at that time, which is of course some time away. Uh, so potentially like there's a really significant asset uh, that the market is not ascribing nearly that amount of value to. Um, the other thing that they've got is this incredibly good bottling plant, um, distilling and bottling plant. I think it's in Camber Camberwell in Victoria. Um, so at the moment they produce a lot of like premix sort of stuff, like you know the Ned's brand and that yeah, yeah. there's others uh, that they sell into Dan Murphy's etc. They let uh, they're not running at 100% capacity under their own steam, so they offer you know sort of little boutique brewers who can't possibly go out and build these 30 million dollar um, assets themselves mm -hmm. they lease them space in them so they get an income stream out of the asset as well but it, it is quite a strategic asset that they've got there the key to this business will be whether that, that they need to be smart they're going to have to spend money now to um, monetize the assets that they've got so it's that the financials aren't going to look great for a period of time, but that's necessary. And the financials, you know, the, the, the hope is that they will explode in a few years as they offload these, um, these, these spirit assets. So I'll, I'll go spec by. Um, and Lark is the other one, isn't it, in this sector? Yeah. Which um, yep. has really had a great run, the Tasmanian version, if you like, of top shelf, um, mainly purely in whiskies. Yeah, and I'd say, Koshi, that Lark is is like it's further down that journey where it's had, you know, these right. assets sitting in barrels for some time, and it's now in the in the selling process, which is why the market's really, you know, come for it. Um, Lark is also, I, I believe, they sell a much higher sort of premium brand of whiskey, and so that they're getting really good margins. Whereas I think Top Shelf is more sort of a mass market kind of um, right. kind of venture. So. They, they need to sell big volume, whereas Lark, a small volume at high prices. Okay. Uh, John, what do you think of Top Shelf? I think Ben's been reading our research. Um, <laughs> we, we, have a spec, we have a spec buy on it as well, price target $2.51. Uh, I'm not sure I can add too much from what Ben's comprehensive summary was, but you know they had a recent uh, capital raising around $1.82. Stock, stock price is back around $1.55 at the moment. But um, you know certainly the issues they've had with COVID have been that they haven't been able to sell as much um, of their products through Ned and Grain Shaker uh, whiskey um, cans through the, the on-premise. On but they, you, but Ben's right, they've been doing a lot of work through the likes of uh, uh, Dan Murphy's and, and other, other retailers as well, which has certainly helped them. That third-party leasing of some of their, their assets and manufacturing is certainly very important. But the capital raising was really around um, financing the, the build out of that plant around Agave and, and okay. that, that production facility. So that's certainly going to help them. It is a long term story in terms of getting you know getting the production up and running and then having something to sell down the track. But you know it does require a lot of capital up front. Yep. Okay. And our final stock, John uh, Bruce, wants a view on Integral Diagnostics, the healthcare services um, diagnostic imaging business. What's your view on Integral? Yeah, it's a buy for us here, David, and one we've, one we've really liked for, for quite some time, uh, price target around about $5.25 or so, so it's still a bit upside in the share price from, from here. Um, they continue to make some really good acquisitions. They've just bought um, another another business with a number of different sites across um, across that, that that part of the acquired business. The name escapes me for the moment, but 
know, certainly the thematic for us is that they've got a lot of upside in terms of when the world reopens again, there starts to be a bit of a catch up in terms of some more of that pathology work doing, more of that imaging work doing that, that has been put on hold for so long in so many different states. So we really like this business. We think it's um, it's one that clients can happily add to portfolios in. Yep. Uh, ben? Yeah, I'd agree. Um, I've missed this one, um, but it's it's been a really good performer for a number of years now. Sort of, I guess, a similar business as Sonic is another one you compare yeah. it to. It's sort of an up-and-coming radiology and um, pathology provider. We, we, we know that, um, that they actually had a really good year of growth last year, which is sort of surprising. They did advise that they were, you know, cycling that strong period, weaker, um, weaker growth, still growth, but like I think as they said, they're about 3% revenue growth for the first three or four months of the year. But you got to remember, like a lot of the East Coast was in lockdown and people couldn't go or weren't comfortable going to doctors. Some of this stuff you can sort of put off for a bit and um, there probably will be a, a snapback in demand, you suspect. Um, you know, I think it's a, it, it, it appears to be a very well managed, um, carving out a really good niche for itself and, um, you know, taking on the, um, the, the two other operators, Sonic and Primary in, in, in the space and seemingly, you know, buying assets at quite decent um, earnings multiples versus a much higher earnings multiple. So it's sort of arving the public private market, which it good businesses can do if they can roll those in effectively. So um, I'll go a hold just because it is trading on 28 times earnings um, and the market already is sort of pricing in this snapback in growth. So it's not like we're going to wake up tomorrow and it's happened and everyone's like, wow, it's, you know, that was expected. But I, th I think it looks like a good long term hold. Yeah. And pathology is the business to be in at the moment with everyone uh, continuing to get things shoved up their nose and premiers saying, yeah, you're going to have to do it if you want to come and visit our state. Um, it's a bit yeah. of a rich vein there. It's incredible. Yeah, I mean, I'm actually going to Fiji next Wednesday, so um, which is pretty exciting. And, you know, all these PCR tests and stuff, it is a bit of a glimpse in what the future holds. And um, it's... You know, they're all, like I can tell you, there's five providers that you have to use. If you go on a Qantas plane, it has to be from one of the five. Integral's one of them. And um, they're all charging the exact same rate, which is $150 to get a PCR test. And right. it's it's inelastic. You know, you have to get it. If you want to get on the plane, you have to have that certificate. So that's um, a, I can't very interesting. see it's going to go. That's worth yeah. um, maybe mentioning to the ACCC. If they're all charging exactly the same, all five of them, fascinating. All right, Ben, uh, leave that with me. Ben Clark from TMS, great to have you aboard today. Really appreciate your opinions. And likewise, John Milroy from Awards. Thank you, gents. Enjoy the rest of the week. Thanks, David. Thanks, David. Good on you guys. Uh, let's recap uh, our final five stocks. Goodman, a hold from both of them. Uh, John prefers, if you want to read, um, something like Viva, um, which has a collection of service stations and their, uh, their shops attached to them. Apollo Tourism, a hold from both Senec. Uh, Senec's a sell from, uh, from Ben, take the money and run, rather than uh, hold out for the takeover to be delivered, a hold from John. Uh, top Shelf, a speculative buy from both, so Top Shelf goes into the calls portfolio and integral diagnostics a hold from ben and a buy from john uh, that's it for the call from today look if you've got any stocks you want me to put to the panel uh send put them in an email to us um 
the call at osbiz.com.au or via Twitter using the at osbiztv handle. See all the stocks in the calls portfolio, osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Mm-hmm.